It's amazing how God has gifted us and how he has given us so many wonderful blessings that we take for granted. And probably one of the ones that we are guilty of taking for granted more so, or as much, I should say, as much as anything else, is the blessing of the Sabbath. Do you know that the Sabbath is one of God's first gifts to us? It goes back to the creation in Genesis chapter 2. God created for six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. Now, do you think God needed to rest? No. He did not need to rest. Well, why in the world does the Scripture say that He rested from all His work? He did that for our benefit. In doing so, He set aside the seventh day as a holy day, something which was sacred and set apart as different. And throughout all of Jewish history... They understood that the Sabbath was a holy day. Moses reiterated the fact in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. In that passage of Scripture, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart, and dedicated. It was for the purpose of rest that God created the Sabbath. But not just rest. Something much more than just simple rest. He created it so that we might have a day of the week in which we set aside some time to worship Him, to ascribe value to Him and what He has done for us, to contemplate, to think about all of the glory of God and all of His many blessings and all of His goodness and all that He's done for us. So we're supposed to, one day a week, rest and worship, praise our God, have a day set apart and dedicated for such. That's the way the Jewish people live their life. And that's we as the church, that's how we live our life. Now, we have set apart the first day of the week rather than the final day of the week as our holy day, our Sabbath, because we celebrate the resurrection on that day. That's a wonderful thing to contemplate, a wonderful thing to glory in, a wonderful thing to worship God for is the resurrection. In the cross of Christ, we are forgiven of all of our sins. All of it's washed away. All of the consequence eternally of our sin. In the resurrection, we are given hope of eternal life. You know, you exist here. And someday you're going to exist somewhere else. And the resurrection gives you hope of that existence with God. Wonderful thing to celebrate. And so the church has traditionally, from early on, set aside that Sabbath day as the first day of the week. The day to rest, the day to reflect, the day to worship the Lord our God. But in this day... In our story here today in Luke chapter 14, it was the Sabbath at the end of the week which they were celebrating. Each Sabbath day they would come together for worship and they would rest. And the Pharisees and lawyers had set up many, many rules to regulate how that rest was to take place. And one of the things which was controversial in some sense, but really not so much of the day, was that you could not heal on the Sabbath. That was the accepted practice of the Pharisees and the lawyers. Now, these fellows were schemers. They, they were scheming together to find a way to accuse Jesus and destroy him and his ministry. They wanted to stop him because he was a troublemaker. He was stirring up things. He was upsetting the apple cart, so to speak, and the status quo there with his preaching, his teaching of the kingdom of God. And so they were doing everything in their power to stop him. So one of the Pharisees on the Sabbath invited Jesus over to a feast, to lunch, 
part of their celebration of the Sabbath is they would have a great meal together. And that meal had to be prepared the day before in order to uphold and follow the rules that they had set aside for the Sabbath. But they would make this great meal and they would come together and have a feast. And they invited Jesus over to this feast. That's really kind of an interesting thing to me to read this in this passage of Scripture. Because I remember so many Sundays that I'd go over to my granny's house and have a feast on Sunday. Didn't you? A lot of you guys had that too, didn't you? Now it seems like our feast is somewhere on the way home. But, but back then we went to granny's house and we had a great feast and she would cook all kinds of good stuff. That's what they did here. It was tradition that they would have a feast. And so this Pharisee invited Jesus over for a feast at his house. Now we would think on the surface that's really a kind and good thing to do. But remember, these are schemers, conniving fellows. And so what they did is they invited over a fellow who had the dropsy. Now, dropsy really means this fellow had some kind of heart and kidney problem. He had swollen legs and swollen arms, and he was in bad shape, probably suffering from heart failure or something wrong with his kidneys. And it was very, very obvious that he was very, very sick. And they invited him over to the feast with Jesus with the intent purpose that Jesus would see him and be confronted with the opportunity to heal him. And they knew that Jesus, because they had seen him many, many times before, was drawn to the sickest or the person in the room with the greatest need, the greatest obvious need. And because he had drops, it was very obvious he had need. And so they put this fellow in the room knowing that Jesus would go to him, knowing that he would heal him so that they could accuse him of desecrating and breaking the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Because they had determined in their legalistic exercise that keeping the Sabbath meant that you did not heal. And so that's what happened. Jesus walks in the room. He sees the fellow there with dropsy. He walks over to him and he knew their schemes. He saw right through them. Saw right through what they were doing. And so he asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, we, we see here they, they never answer the question, do they? They couldn't answer the question because on the one hand, if they said, yes, it is lawful to do good and heal someone who is in tremendous need, then they were affirming and confirming his ministry. There's no way they were going to do that. But to give a verbal answer to what they believed in their heart, that it was unlawful for him to heal on the Sabbath, meant that they would demonstrate themselves and show themselves to be uncaring and unloving and demonstrate the true nature of their own heart. And so they just kept silent, didn't want to answer the question. Now, they'd already determined it was wrong, but they didn't want to vocalize it. Isn't that funny? I guess the way a lot of people are, you know, they, 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 they have determined in their heart what they think, but they are embarrassed to say so. That's where these fellows were. They were ready to jump on him and accuse him. They were ready to haul him to the Sanhedrin. They were ready to destroy him, but they were embarrassed to say so in their feast time together. So they kept silent. And then we see here, Jesus heals him. And in doing so, he goes on and asks another question. He said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush out to get him? Seems strange thing to say, but in that culture it was a very normal, commonplace expression to be concerned about your cow or your son falling into a well. What Jesus was saying here and what he was demonstrating to us in this second question, the point that he's making is a very simple one and yet very profound. 
It gives us an answer of what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, stay with me on this introduction. We're going to get very specific in a minute. Probably going to step on a lot of toes today. This sermon probably going to step on toes more so than just about anything that I've preached in the previous 12 months. And it's probably going to hit all of us at some point, right? So you can take your shoes off and get ready, okay? But what Jesus is teaching us here is what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. What it means to set aside a day as special, sacred, and different. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that it's about God. There are five times in the book of Luke where we have this healing on the Sabbath moment. And what Jesus is really teaching us through these five examples is that the Sabbath was created for man. Man was not created for the Sabbath. It was a gift from God enabling us a time to rest and enabling us a time to worship and we should do it. And getting caught up in all of the mundane things and trying to figure out all kinds of rules and regulations of what it means to do so is beside the point. Something that we should not waste our time and momentum on. We should focus on the main thing and let the main thing guide all the little things is really what Jesus is saying. Now, having said that, it begs the question, do we keep the Sabbath holy? And you say, well, how important is this? God is a God of grace. He's God of mercy. Well, listen, it's part of the Ten Commandments. We look down on folks who commit adultery. We look down on folks who commit murder. We look down on folks who steal. And yet, oftentimes we overlook and excuse folks who desecrate the fourth or disobey God with regard to the fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath holy, set apart for God, for rest, for worship. You see, today in, in our culture, work, and I know some of us have to work, keeps us from doing things on Sunday. Or sometimes we must work on Sunday. I understand that. We're going to get to that in just a second. So I want to just start with saying I understand some of us have to work on Sunday. So what do we do in order to have a Sabbath? If we are forced to work on Sunday, we're going to get there in a minute. But that aside, we need to understand that, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I'm just going to lay some things out there. The NFL, youth sports. Youth sports is the greatest competitor of Jesus Christ in our culture today. Plain and simple. You can ask any pastor that. They'll tell you that. But so our family get-togethers. Time at the lake and just plain laziness. You say, well, I just was tired. I wanted to sleep in today. Or just about anything else that we can come up with that we might think we want to do instead of worship and rest. Worship of God should be the greatest priority of our life and certainly the greatest high priority of the Sabbath day. Rest is a necessity and something that we need desperately. I talked to a pastor this week about the Sabbath. And he said, I'm going to tell you something, James, when you preach on the Sabbath, you need to think about this. He said, I believe that a great deal of the depression which the church is suffering from today is the direct result of not keeping the Sabbath holy. Because we need a day of rest and God has built that into us mentally and physically and even in our soul that we need a time of rest, a time to set apart for worship 
of the living God. And we should guard that day. We should protect it. I I read a story recently about a a challenge, a couple of woodcutters. One of them challenged the other one, who could cut the most wood, who could cut down the most trees with his axe in one day. And so they began the contest early in the morning and began to cut trees. And one fellow, he was diligent. He worked hard. He swung his axe fast. And he worked all day long with no breaks whatsoever. The other fellow, he worked hard too, but periodically and often it seemed through the day he would take a break and rest and sit down and have a drink and take a snack. And he had a leisurely lunch. And then he got up and kept working again. At the end of the day, the fellow who took the breaks, the fellow who took the rest, cut more trees than the fellow who worked diligently through the entire day. And the fellow who had worked through the day with no breaks and no time off for lunch was very frustrated in the fact that he had worked so hard and so very obviously much more than the man who had taken the breaks, and yet he had lost. And as he was lamenting this fact, and as he was expressing his frustration, the fellow who took the breaks stopped him and said, Listen, there's one important point that you missed every time that I took one of my breaks and all the way through my lunch. I was sharpening my axe. See, see, we we need time to sharpen the axe. You see, you have folks who come back from vacation who says, I need a vacation because of my vacation. I worked so hard at rest that now I need to actually rest and recuperate. And oftentimes we're doing that on Sundays, folks. What is Jesus teaching us here? He's not giving us a long list of rules and regulations. And what he's telling the Pharisees is not about a long list of rules and regulations. It's about a principle that you need to live your life by. And the principle is this. You put God first. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you see someone in need, certainly you have the opportunity to do so. You need to help someone that needs help. But in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means obeying him. It means setting aside that day as holy to worship him and to rest. You see, a sermon on the Sabbath day is more than just you need to come to church on Sunday. It's also about the fact that you need to rest. If you're spending 12 hours on Sunday working, going to kids' tournament games, running to and fro to do this, that, and the other, running to and fro to try to get the housework and other things done that you don't have time to do during the week and you're worn out at the end of the day, you've not kept the Sabbath holy. You've not guarded your heart and your life to enjoy the blessings which God gave us in Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and the church has celebrated since the resurrection and shortly thereafter of Christ. See, something that we need to do is we need to ask ourselves the question, am I pulling the ox out of the ditch on Sunday? If I am missing worship and if I'm working myself to death on Sunday to get things done, is it because I'm pulling my ox out of the ditch? Is it because I'm doing something which is necessary or doing something to serve and that is good for someone else which must be done on Sunday? Is that what I'm doing? Uh, Is this something that, that I should be doing and is permissible for me? In the eyes of God, if I were to stand before God face to face and give an account of how I'm spending my Sabbath, would my answer sound justified or would it sound ridiculous? Think about that. If you were to stand face to face with God and say, God, I have to miss worshiping you on Sunday. I have to miss my time with the community of faith. 
because I have tickets to the noon kickoff of the Cowboys game. Now, if you were forced to stand face-to-face with a living God and make that statement, could you do so? Would you do so? Real quiet in here today, isn't it? I told you, this is one that steps on our toes. The reason is, is because we are so selfish and self-centered that we very often put things we want to do ahead of the things that we should do. You know, there's no difference between those who break the fourth commandment and those who would go out and steal because there's a desire in the thief's heart for that which he's stealing. And when you steal time and you steal reverence and you steal the focus and priority away from God which belongs to him on the Sabbath and which he has intended for your health, the day of rest, you're as guilty as the thief. You see, We don't want to look at things that way. We want to think of our God as a reasonable God. And God is reasonable. He's very reasonable here. But he's also very just. See, I I know there are folks who are forced to work. I was talking with a preacher not long ago about this. We as pastors, we really are working on Sunday. Sunday's not a, a, a day of Sabbath for us. It's just not. I assure you of that. It's an exhausting day. And so as I was talking to him about that, he says, you know, I make sure that on Fridays, Living Hope, which is the church this fellow pastors, he said, they understand I don't work for Living Hope on Fridays. That's my Sabbath. And unless someone's dying, I'm I'm not doing anything on Friday. I rest. I'm sure he worships in some way. And he recuperates and does what Scripture teaches us to do. So if you have to worship, or if you have to work rather on Sunday, you need to find a day in your week that you're not working to rest, to worship, to reflect. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church or, or, or that it's okay just to miss church forever. I'm saying that you need to find a place to go worship. There are folks that worship on Saturday night and Wednesday night, things to do. Find one of those if, if you can't. I understand there are folks who are policemen and firemen, and we're glad that there are doctors and nurses working in the hospitals today, right? And I know that there are others of us in this room that because of the jobs we have, there are times we are forced to work on Sunday. I understand that. There are those times we need to pull the ox out of the well. But we need to be certain that that's exactly what we're doing and then that we're not standing before God saying, God, I can't keep the Sabbath holy today. can't keep the Sabbath holy today because I found something better to do or something that I want to do, whatever that may be. You know, there are a lot of folks who look at the Old Testament, they'll look at the moral law of God and say, we're under grace now. This doesn't apply to us. Uh, This is not legalism that we're living our life by. Live my life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not the law. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus also said that he did not come to do away with the law. Not in one little bit. What he did is he came to give us his Holy Spirit and give us a new life and make us a new creation and give us a new heart and a new nature so that we would desire 
to live by and walk by God's moral law. And not only that, but have the power within us to do so. His Holy Spirit at work within us. So you see, if you're a believer in Christ, it should be your desire to have a Sabbath. It should be your desire to rest. Most of us can have a desire to rest, all right? But also your desire to worship. And it should take something really big to keep you from doing so with the family of faith on a regular basis. Pulling your ox out of the well. See, unfortunately, in today's time, so often, pastors will say this. Today, a faithful church member is someone that comes two to maybe three times a month at most. Now, in our parents' days, in our grandparents' days, that was not the case, right? I mean, a lot of you here today would say we were there every time the door was open. We were too. You see, we have lost our awe, we have lost our respect, we have lost the honor that is due our God, and so therefore we have decided God is a reasonable God who understands that my kids need to go to the tournament on Sunday and understands that, that we can only get together as a family on Sunday and understands that, that I have so much to catch up on at home that I, I need to miss church on Sunday. He understands that I'm just so tired because I've worked all week long that I can't worship him today. And listen, I understand the need for rest, but the need for rest and worship go hand in hand. You need to worship because you need that revitalization and that rest and that, re- that, that comes from worshiping the Lord God. It's not just that you need physical rest and restoration, but you need it mentally and you need it spiritually. You see, we find excuse after excuse after excuse and all kinds of reasons. We've got tickets to the game. We've got here to go, there to go. Listen, I don't care what your excuse is and how you fill in the blank on your excuses. Facts are facts. We serve a living God who exists who rewards those who diligently seek him, who deserves our praise and honor and worship and love and devotion from the lips that he created, from the lives that he's made, and the breath that he's given to us. He watches out for us, tells us to set this day aside. He puts it in my heart to worship him, to love him, and to follow him. He's given me his Holy Spirit, which enables me to do so. And I certainly should. I certainly should. Over the triple doorways of a cathedral in Milan, there are three inscriptions spanning the splendid arches. Over one, over one of the arches is a carved, beautiful wreath of roses. And underneath it is the legend. All that which pleases is but for a moment. Over the other is sculpted a cross. And there are the words, All that which troubles us is but for a moment. But underneath the great central entrance to the main aisle is the inscription, That only is important, which is eternal. If we realize, if we always realize these three truths, we will not let trifles trouble us, not be interested so much in the passing pleasures of the hour, And understand that we should live for the permanent and the eternal. What are you living for? What's important to you? Where are your priorities? You know, I just want to conclude today. I know a sermon like today, everybody's just kind of like, man, all right. I need to rest. I don't need to miss church. 
need to worship, need the main things to be the main thing. And we leave a a sermon like that, and, and so many times we're convicted, number one, and we should be convicted. I mean, if you don't ever leave here convicted, something's wrong with you or something's wrong with me, all right? There's nothing wrong with God, okay? Either I'm not preaching the Word and I'm just giving you a, a, a cheer, you know, pep rally every Sunday, or you're not hearing the Word of God and you just expect a pep rally. But one or the other, one of us is wrong if you never leave here convicted. So, so if this morning you're convicted, that's, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, all right? But I know when we, when we talk about this, when we address this subject, that so many of us are very convicted on how we use our time and spend our life. And the real question is, is, is it going to change anything you do? Or are you going to just continue to make excuses for the way you decide to live your life and in the back of your mind create, really, a God that doesn't exist, one that winks at sin? And, and having said that, I just want to kind of draw it together, and I want to bring this to you today, and I want to leave you with this point. Anytime God brings something before us that he expects from us, anytime God brings something before us that he intends for us to do, he does so for our benefit. Why does God say that you should not have sex outside of marriage? Is that just to take all the fun out of life? Is that just to take the fun out of sex? No. He did that for a reason, didn't he? Now, I could give you entire sermons on the reason why. But we understand that within marriage is where sex finds its true value and wonder and mystery and beauty and the holiness of the, of the relationship is celebrated. There are so many things we can say about that. And outside of marriage, it becomes a very destructive thing, doesn't it? Destroys your life emotionally, can destroy your life in a myriad of different ways, and certainly spiritually. Why did God say have sex only within marriage? It wasn't to take the fun out of things. It was to help us to see the true fun in what he's created, the true mystery, the true holiness, the true majesty of what the event is supposed to be, right? Some of you can walk out here today and say, the preacher said sex is majestic. It is, uh, and it should be for all of us because that's how God created it to be. Why would God say don't kill? I mean, have you ever wanted to kill somebody? Have you ever thought about killing somebody? I hope not, but you know, maybe you've been that mad. You'd say, I would, you know, why would God take that from me? The earth would be better without them, right? Well, he did that for you. So no one would kill you and so that you wouldn't kill anybody else in your fit of anger. It's to protect us, to guard our heart, to guard our life. Why do you say not to steal? So I wish it wasn't wrong to steal. My next door neighbor's got a boat I'd like to have or, I've, I, you know, I'd like to take that truck out in the parking lot as my own. God just taking the fun out of everything? Now he's protecting your property and protecting you. You go steal somebody's property, they're going to come back for you, right? And it affects us spiritually. All of these things affect us spiritually in our relationship with God. There is a thing called righteousness. God is righteous. And from Him, flowing from Him, is righteousness. 
And he has put within our hearts the knowledge and understanding of natural law and what is right and what is wrong. He put it there for our benefit. He's revealed these things to us for our benefit. And one of those things is keep the Sabbath holy. It is for our benefit. So you need to understand today if your toes are stepped on, that's a good thing because God is reiterating to you, affirming to you, that which you know in your heart, the natural law, that you need rest and you need to worship God. We know that in our heart to be right, to be true. God has confirmed it to us through the revelation of His Holy Spirit. God is teaching that to us this morning, showing that to us today, and He's doing it for our benefit. Let me tell you something, and let me just challenge you with this. If you will decide that you are going to protect and guard and observe a Sabbath day of rest and worship in your life in a way that you have not done before, I dare you and challenge you to do it just for three, four, five, six months and see how different your life is. To truly be able to say, on this day every week I am going to rest. And on this day every week I am going to worship and consider in a special way who God is and what He has done for me and celebrate Him in my life. If you will do that, you will see your life transformed if you have not already been doing so. You will see your life change and become something different. I promise you this. And how can I say such a thing? How can I make such a bold statement? It's because I know that God has built you to observe a Sabbath. And if you have not been doing so, if you will begin to obey God in this area as a believer in Christ, you will see as a natural byproduct of that the goodness of obedience and how it can change and alter your entire life. I don't put diesel in my truck because it was made for regular old gasoline. God has built you for rest, and if you're putting something else in your tank, eventually it's going to gum things up and make a mess. You and I need this, and God has established it for our benefit, and if we will begin to obey Him and observe a Sabbath, we will see our entire lives change. Everything altered. Everything different. So this morning I challenge you to do that. You say, unless I'm pulling the ox out of the ditch, unless I'm pulling my son out of a well, I'm going to make sure, unless it's something like that, that I'm going to observe a day of rest every week and a day where I am focused on worship of the living God. I'm going to do that. If you've not done that and you make that commitment this morning, then I challenge you to pray and say, Lord, help me to reorder things and to reorder my life so that you're the priority. Help me to reorder my family's life so that you're the priority. Help me, Lord God, to reorder things and reprioritize things so that truly I am being obedient to you and what you have spoken to me and what you said I need in Genesis 2 and what you've spoken to me is necessary for me and expected of me in Exodus 20. Father, I ask you to make me faithful to you to observe a proper Sabbath. Just, just step out and do it this morning. Say, Lord, may your Holy Spirit have its work in me to convict me, encourage me, and enable me to be obedient to you to observe 
a Sabbath and to do it righteously. I'm not talking about setting up rules like the Pharisees. I'm talking about living by the principles of Jesus Christ as he explained to us in this passage of Scripture. And this morning, if that's you as a believer, and you say, I need help with that, then I ask you to pray and do that. And you know, it's not just about going to church. Some of you guys are very, very faithful in church. You struggle to observe a Sabbath because you leave here and work yourself to death until you go to bed tonight. You need a day of rest. Rest. Do it. Worship and rest. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you need that. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need that. And if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior from sin and Lord of your life, you need to understand that Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus came to earth. He was and is God. God came to earth and lived a perfect life, a sinless life, so that he could die as a sacrifice for your sin. And you will have no rest in your life until you come to faith in Jesus and believe and trust that he died on the cross as who he says he is and died on the cross for your sins. And this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never believed, you've never entrusted yourself to him and his sacrifice on the cross, then this morning we invite you to do that. And in a minute, we're going to have a time where we sing and we have what's called an invitation. We invite you to respond. And if you want to know Jesus or know more about Jesus and if you want to truly understand what I just explained about how you can become a Christian and follow Jesus, please come down and help. let us help you to understand it more fully that you might know how to be a Christian, that you might know how to follow Jesus. And you and I, all of us together as believers, for anyone here this morning who's been deeply convicted over the observance of Sabbath, Listen, just pray and give it to God this morning and ask God to transform you and change your life. Let's do that now in this time of invitation. Let's ask God to change us. Let's ask God to move in our life and make us different. Let's ask God to make Him make us more like Him, more faithful to Him. Let's ask God to help us to be obedient to Him and to follow His plans for our life. Would you do that this morning, whatever God's plan might be? Let's stand together. Let's sing together.